I am George Knapp listening to that UFO podcast and having one hell of a good time. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they've truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts, I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one, that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and we've got some breaking news that happened well a few days ago as we record this. Joining me of course for this one is Dan. Hi. Howdy, howdy. How are you? Yep, not bad. We've been talking for half an hour. Let's dispense with the pleasantries. <laughs> um, we said this will be a, a quicker one than normal. It feels like we've not recorded much in a while. People won't really have noticed that because the stuff's still been coming out regularly but managed to get a bit ahead in terms of interviews and schedules and everything else. I've been working a lot, Dan's been working a lot, and Dan is about to move, as you may have saw online. So it's been best that the way we've done it. And we've finally got a chance to at least record this one. Dan moves over the weekend and then we're all we're all good for a, a regular schedule again. But I don't think people should have noticed any any difference anyway, no to be fair. It was a smooth transition, but my wall will be changing soon, so people will notice that probably. Well, that's that's the Unless big difference. Unless they're on audio. Yeah, in which case it, it doesn't matter because doesn't matter now. <laughs> Dan's audio wall will be changing. Um, hopefully his audio doesn't. Um, unless you hate his audio, then it may change for the better. Yeah, yeah, um, that's now. <laughs> but yeah, on the twentieth of July, it was announced online from the Department of Defence that on the fifteenth of July, the Deputy Secretary of Defence Kathleen Hicks, in coordination with the Director of National Intelligence, amended her original direction to the Under Secretary of Defence for Intelligence and Security by renaming and expanding the scope of the AOIMSG, which, as we know, was the Airborne Object Identification and Management Group, to a new office titled Arrow, which was the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, and for Jazz Shaw. The hyphen does negate the D being part of that um, it does, acronym, yeah. Dan. It does. Even I knew that one. Jazz, shame on you. Um, so, yes, yeah, so the A-A-R-O. So the AOI-MSG is gone, and we have ARO, A-A-R-O. Um, and this is due to the enactment of the National Defence Authorisation Act, NDAA, for fiscal year 2022, which we've just had the new language amendments for, which we covered recently on the podcast as well, um, which included a provision to establish an office in coordination with the DNI with responsibilities that were broader than those originally assigned to the AOI MSG. That was the initial statement on the DOD's website, Dan. Um, so in short, AOI MSG, no longer a thing. We get rid of that huge acronym. We have this new office, the AARO. Um, what were your initial thoughts when you saw this drop? My immediate thought is that the word arrow is a hell of a lot better to say than AIMSOG. Uh, 100%. I think everyone can agree. It, it's nice that now they're, I mean, I know we're talking about it, so it's a little ironic for me to say, but it's nice that when we say, oh yeah, America has a UAP office, it's arrow, people won't go, you know, what the hell is that word? <laughs> there won't be so much conversation about the naming of the office, which is good. We can focus on the content and what they're doing now. There was a phrase that came along with this legislation, um, which had another hyphen in it, uh, which was unidentified. Oh, I'm going to mess this up now. I'm going to forget it. Uh, undersea. Mm -hmm. I've forgotten the second U. Darn. Um, but basically, it's the, the new phrasing for UAP, which includes a term that 
is not just saying transmedium, it denotes that it goes through multiple domains. So See, it's... Go on. People are, people are getting too caught up, I think. And I get it's the detail, okay? But all the different acronyms that people are coming out with online, whenever they see a new piece of legislation or some language being put in, I think a lot of these are just covering the bases of what is being seen. Ultimately, folks, like I've said before, and you can like this, you can hate it, or you can be nonplussed, UFO covers all of these still. It's just language that people may or may not find stigmatized we then kind of got used to uap and i think people are just getting a little bit too excited whenever they see oh usap or uusap and it's like it's all still the same thing yeah and U- uap has been going since what the earliest mention we found i think was 47 yeah graham rendell's found hasn't replaced yeah UFOs. Graham Rendell puts the documents in our chat, Dan, doesn't he? And says, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He says UAP here back in the 40s and 50s, and it just wasn't as common, especially in the public domain. Yeah, absolutely. And it hasn't replaced UFO despite being around for 50 to 20, uh, sorry, 50 to 70 years. So I don't think it's going to replace UFO. The public calls them UFOs. Officials call them UAP. I would say that's the the line. Yeah, 100%. I, I use the WWF, WWE. You know, WWE's been around now since 2002. Oh, sure. But to the general public who don't watch wrestling, it's the WWF. And that's yeah. that's still the wrestling to them. So it's that kind of thing. Um, Arrow itself, so A-A-R-O, remember folks, uh, it's mission, according to the statement online. The mission of Arrow will be to synchronize efforts across the Department of Defense and with other U.S. federal departments and agencies to detect, identify, and attribute objects of interest in, on, or near military installations, operating areas, training areas, special use airspace, and other areas of interest, and, as necessary, to mitigate any associated threats of safety or to safety of operations and national security. This includes anomalous, unidentified space, airborne, submerged, and transmedium objects. So they really are covering the bases they are now of. Not just things flying about in the air, but things that can go underwater, can go in space. And, you know, again, transmedium doing some or all of the above. And yeah. potentially, as we have discussed a long time ago uh, previously, Dan, going through physical objects could technically now be part of that as well. Well, this was the reason I was happy with the old domain being in the ARROW acronym. The, the phrasing that I kind of forgot earlier was unidentified aerospace dash undersea phenomena. So to me, that includes, you know, space, air, and undersea. But there are more mediums uh, in the universe than those three things. So it makes sense to, to cover those bases by just saying all domain. In the language, it even says unknown domains. So it's giving room for, you know, places and things that we, we just don't know exist yet. Um, they, they're expanding that scope to really drive home the fact that they, they're looking at anomalous craft that don't fit under the remit of things like drones, even though that might be a part of the conversation. With the idea ultimately still being this this organization, the same as the one before it and the same as the task force, the same as any other that would be around that we have heard of or not heard of, we still want to find out what these objects are, what the origin is. So yeah, it's great. We can keep covering more and more things that they may or may not do, but ultimately, we don't want that to detract from from what it does. Yeah, I, you know, from you know, what are they? That's the ultimate question. Hundred percent. And we've spoken about this a lot as well. Like we we both of us don't think that there's only one thing here. We think that there are multiple things happening, multiple yeah. phenomena. Some of them might be natural. Some of them might be you know visited from other planets. Some of them might be something else as well. So as we go forward we will start labeling these things and narrowing them down. You know, the, the giant squid isn't going to call a monster at the edge of the map forever. It's now a giant squid and science studies it. Uh, eventually, we will have a name for, you know, it won't be a Tic Tac. It'll be probably named after the species that made it, possibly, if, if that's what it is. So let me ask you, Dan, this replaces the AOIMSG, AIMSOG, whatever people want to call it or whatever that was. <laughs> it's now gone. What did AIMSOG do? actually do or did it actually do anything wrong because it doesn't seem like it was about all too long to get any actual work done before it's disappeared yeah absolutely so about the only thing we saw imsog do was take over everything that the the uap task force had start going through that and then also brief uh moultrie and bray for the hearing that we saw and we saw how ill-equipped they were so I remember when AOI MSG 
was announced and we all thought that they were trying to kind of the DOD was trying to distract from the Gillibrand Rubio amendment because mm -hmm. that was a really extensive piece of legislation and if the office for UAP study had been defined by the legislation it would have been a lot broader and a lot more far-reaching than AIMSOG uh, ended up being so I, I would I feel confident saying that AIMSOG was exactly what we feared it was it was just something to try and appease the the senators and to make them back off as opposed to something that was actually a robust office meant to investigate these things thoroughly whereas this new office looking at the new legislation as well even though it's just a rebrand the person that they've brought in uh dr sir sean kirkpatrick who we'll speak about in a minute mm -hmm. like he's he's not someone that messes around and i think that reflects this newer office's attitude so do you think the rebranding, which essentially is, is what this largely is, is all because of what's happened in the time from it being set up to to just before this, essentially those hearings and the performance of Moultrie and Bray and the kind of lack of confidence that people seem to have in government with this office? Do you think that's prompted this rethink, restructure and then rebrand? Yeah, I 100% think that. Um, Unfortunately, it's still under the OUSDI, uh, which is the Office for Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, um, and which is isn't really... Obvious. Moultrie, who is the undersecdef for intelligence yes. security, as I'm getting used that to that. Correct. Uh, I, I always forget those. There are so many terms here, right? Like, we, we talk I'm about these so things close, all the time. I'm so similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it certainly seems that it's a step in the right direction and that it's addressing a lot of the criticism that was levied at AIMSOG and before that the UAPTF now it's becoming more of a well like I say a more of a robust office and I'm sure there are gaps in this legislation that will be filled in next year and the year after that and the year after that as we move forward this isn't perfect by any means but it's definitely a step forward and a step up from AIMSOG and is it also a little bit of a PR move probably I but mean it Rebranding washes off the the bad taste, um, and we've we've seen countless companies do it through throughout history. And after those hearings, I imagine they want AIMSOG as far away as possible uh, as a name as a term from the next hearings, where hopefully it will be a much better offering. I, I think the first time we'll get to judge it is come this Halloween when we see the second UAP unclassified report. We'll mm -hmm. be able to compare and contrast with the one we had before and see, okay, really, what what is this? Have they just done the same thing again? Um, then we know that Travis Taylor helped prepare that report now. And a lot of stuff would have been taken out of it. So we will now be able to see, okay, how is the declassification process kind of shaking up? Are officials pushing for more information in there because they don't think it should be classified? And looking at other details that, that are included, it will be very telling of uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick and his team. Well, people can follow the on social media, the Arrow department at DOD underscore A-A-R-O. And the first announcement from that Twitter account was welcome to the official Twitter account for the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. Through this channel, we will provide updates and inf information relative to our examinations of unidentified anomalous phenomena across space, air and maritime domains. As we grow, the office begin building upon the previous Department of Defence efforts in this area and communicate with Congress. We will provide updates on our progress here. This is an exciting and intellectually stimulating opportunity for us here at Arrow. Uh, Ronald S. Moultrie, who we mentioned before, Dan, he, he then followed that up with, that on July 20th, I informed the DOD that of the establishment of the AARO within the OUS, OUSDI, and named Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, most recently the Chief Scientist at Defence Intel's Missile and Space Intelligence Centre, as Director. Dr. Kirkpatrick and I have a very productive discussion, uh, or had a very productive discussion with Senator Gillibrand and her staff yesterday afternoon regarding the DoD Arrow, and look forward to continuing our work on this important effort. So, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, a name that people may have heard dropped in, in past in various different ways, shapes and forms, uh, what did you already know, Dan, about Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick? So I was very excited to hear this name because, and I, I'm going to have to keep the gentleman's name out of it, just because it turns out that I know somebody that knows Sean and has worked with him in the past. 
warning and, folks dan's about to cite an anonymous source <laughs> warning, i mean I've, I've done it um I, I was fortunate to meet this gentleman uh in colombia as part of phenomenology uh we we had great conversations about uh you know what he did i'm not at liberty to share that because yeah it, he is an active employee but i will say that it was a glowing review of dr sean kirkpatrick uh he's spoke about him as dr k that's what his friends call him uh, so yeah, D- Dr. K apparently is the guy that you want on this. He he's the go-to gentleman in terms of, and they they say it in on the announcement. They link to a kind of a summary of his past, and there was a phrase in there that I'd heard before, which was that he basically served in a variety of no-fail roles, which is as heavy as it sounds. He's the guy you bring in to sort things out. He's the guy you bring in to get the job done. So. In spite of the the Air Force being involved in Sean's uh, uh, past, I would say try and put that aside because this is the guy that you want on the job, in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, the Air Force don't have on their application forms, do you have an interest in UFOs, which then will exclude you from a role? You know, there's going to be folks at the Air Force who do have an interest in the subject. Absolutely. Similar um, to NASA, right? We, we yeah. spoke about this often, like the government is a big thing and not everybody in it is going to be read into these programs where they can't talk about things so there are genuinely people outside of it who are, that have interest and i think that that tweet reflected that a really interesting place i think especially in the growing world of social media to find out information on folks legitimate information is linkedin and if you jump onto dr sean kirkpatrick's linkedin profile you find out this little uh, blurb about him which i thought was quite interesting as a quite succinct summary of of his background Uh, So, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick is an executive-level physicist and intelligence officer with extensive experience in research and development, systems engineering, acquisition, oversight, operations, and policy. He brings unconventional thinking through a diverse background to solve some of the nation's most complex and challenging problems. Pretty interesting line. Demonstrated ability for executive-level cradle-to-grave strategy development, implementation, and execution. As a recognized national subject matter expert, widely sought by national level political and military leadership for advice and recommendations on space and counter space and scientific and technical intelligence issues, he combines extensive technical and engineering depth (laughs) with strategy and policy in space control, space operations and cutting edge science and technology. He's a change agent with deep experience in startup organizations and major organizational and management realignments. Now, so much of that profile fits into exactly what he's coming into here and reads positively, like you say, for what he can potentially do and bring to this role, because this doesn't sound like a guy who comes into a role and it doesn't go anywhere. That's not the reputation and, you know, that's not his CV, is it? No, I I would say that if someone's bringing him in for that to kind of brush this under the carpet, they're probably going to end up finding that they've hired a person who will hold them to account and will not do that. Whether we see the results of all of that work remains to be seen because there's a lot of classified stuff here. But Dr. Kirkpatrick is tremendously qualified for this position, and it certainly seems like he has an interest in just things that other people can't figure out anyway. Do do you think that Dr. K as his friends call him. We'll, we'll assume that we're, we're his friends. He might listen, you never know. <laughs> and also the AARO will succeed in picking up where the previous efforts have left off. I think so. I, I can imagine someone like Dr. Kirkpatrick going in and asking to see where these kind of bits of data are held and so on and so forth. And if AIMSOG were as illegitimate as we think they are, um, then... All, all of those things would have been sorted out, basically. All of the data stores would have been shored up. Everything will have its place. I can't imagine John taking no for an answer when he's asking for uh, materials from places that are maybe not cooperating. There was a really great line in Kathleen Hicks's uh, memo announcing this. She's the director of national intelligence. And she said that any DOD component acting on behalf of the UAPTF or who has data analysis contracts and other material related to UAP will immediately synchronize their efforts with the AARO, which I thought was very telling. That either alludes to her just talking about the AIMSOG or 
Kathleen Hicks is being very particular with her language to, in that she possibly suspects that there are some other components within the DoD that don't fall under the remit of the UAPTF or AIMSOG that might be studying this. Let me ask, though, and correct me where or if I'm getting this wrong, which is likely, that during the UAP task force uh, summary being compiled, we, we found out they had a change of leadership. And yes. you remember at the time, people like Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, and others were saying that it was already being set up to fail. And the change of leadership in the middle of that meant it really should have been extended and, you know, everything was going to be rushed and they were being hamstrung and everything else. You're saying that in three months' time, we have that next unclassified report due. Is this not potentially something similar where all this change is, is a disruption to an ongoing process? And how can Dr. Kirkpatrick in, in three months get things together, get everything, you know, compiled and ready to put out some kind of report or should we not expect very much and be looking forward already to next year? So the the first thing I would say is that Dr. Kirkpatrick, this was announced a while back unofficially. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we had D. Dean Johnson um, telling us that this had happened, that he'd heard this has happened. So I imagine Dr. Kirkpatrick has been working for a while on everything as opposed to since July 15th. That said, you are completely right. That's a really disruptive thing to happen. A change of leadership, a change of remit, a change of scope. So it's quite possible that this first report includes a kind of almost a reset that we're going to kind of see Dr. Kirkpatrick's version of last year's report and have the bits pointed out that are ineffective, basically. Because now we have someone there that's going to be looking at the office and looking at what he can improve process-wise. And we already know that we have the new legislation coming in for the classified stuff and, and the immunity language. But that will not factor into this report because that won't be passed by the time we get that report, basically. So uh, at the very least, I would expect something similar to what we had. But I'm expecting for a little more transparency in there. If, like me, you have ever had to go looking for a designer, illustrator, or voiceover artist, it can be difficult to know where to start. That's where the folks at Fiverr have created the world's largest marketplace for digital services, with an incredible database of talented freelancers to cover every one of your business needs. Whether you need a new website, a voiceover for your podcast, or someone to manage your social media accounts, Fiverr has you covered. The unique term for a service offered by a seller on Fiverr is called a gig. When creating gigs, sellers can choose their starting price point. Sellers can take this a step further and offer gig packages to buyers using those gig packages. These contain multiple price ranges and sellers can offer buyers various and tailored service packages. In this way, buyers can pick and choose from all that's offered according to their particular requirements. There truly is something for every budget with your payments protected every time. That's really important. Your payment won't be released until you approve the work, so there's no paying for work that isn't of the required standard, giving you the complete control you need to get the perfect product for your business. And for more peace of mind, Fiverr's support team are available 24-7 to answer any questions or provide the help you need. So if you've been fishing around the net for the right solution, stop. Use the perfect solution and go to Fiverr, that's F-I-V-E-R-R, -R, and find the perfect freelance services for your business today. You can help support this podcast by using my special link, zen.ai forward slash UFO5, that's Z-E-N dot A-I slash UFO and the number five, the next time you need to book a freelancer. Details are in the description. Sure. And again, we see this as the change on the surface, but we don't know the ripples underneath as to, to what the knock-on effect is if Dr. Kirkpatrick brings on advisor A, B, and C to help out and get rid of D, E, and F who are there already, or if there are any changes and it's kind of seamless. So that's that's something that will just remain to be seen. And I wonder how, how can the language changes in the upcoming NDAA, which people have been reporting on, that's to help bring other agencies together, help with the data collection. Um, one of the big focuses has been the language, and I'm going to paraphrase, around essentially finding out, have we collected, I say we, as in government agencies, the US, etc. I think you meant you and I. 
Yeah, yeah, have we? Yeah, not yet. Yeah, not yet. Um, we still have to get the pickup truck. Um, but ha- <laughs> have any of these agencies within the US government found crashed materials, crashed craft, whatever they may be, and given them to the private sector? Because that was something that we've talked about before. You know, it's easy to, to give that. Let's just for talking sake use Roswell and say, yeah, we sure. don't have that. Well, maybe they don't because it was given away a long time ago to Lockheed, Boeing, you know, somewhere else. And that's where some of these language changes are coming in. Is that right, Dan? And also, how how effective can that actually be? Because surely there are still ways and means to keep these things secret. Yeah, you, you're not wrong. The language that's currently going through the House is referring to... I'll just do like a little brief summary for people mm, that maybe yeah. haven't seen the last episode. Uh, it's, it's referring to creating a system within the DoD that would be able to or would be secure enough to have classified reports submitted. So if someone was working in a special access program where maybe they had access to this materials, they could submit their report through that system and it would be considered secure. It would get to the right people, i.e. the senators who are writing this language. There is no kind of stick in this legislation. There's nothing kind of saying to people, look, if you don't come forward, we're gonna, we're gonna throw you in jail for 50 years. All there is, is essentially an offer of a handshake and to say, you know, come in, give us your information and we'll go from there. There is no promise that they won't be, that they will be forgiven for past crimes or anything like that. All, all the legislation is designed to do, like I say, is to take the classified information and be secure and get it to the, the officials that need it. Another bit in the, in the NDAA that kind of went under people's radars is to do with the National Archives taking over the declassification process. And then right at the end of all the UAP stuff, they slip in that they want everything that the National Archives has on UAP. So you can kind of see those two puzzle pieces slotting together that if an independent body has control of declassifying materials and then the UAP task force, or sorry, Arrow, plugs directly into that, that's going to be extremely beneficial to the conversation because we can just start you know, we have someone there that isn't going to look at a bit of footage from the gun camera and just go, oh, we can't show anyone that because it's a sensitive bit of technology. Mm-hmm. It will be their job to kind of go, okay, what can we maybe crop out of this video? And we can still show them the interesting part that doesn't give away our, our you know, our advantage to our adversaries. So yeah, that's the one bit. Then the other bit, and this was kind of expanded on in the IAA this week, there's so many different acronyms. That's the mm-hmm. Intelligence Authorization Act. Uh, the number is HR 8367, if anyone wants to go look it up. But basically, that is a bit of language that when it comes to the the person is called the comptroller of the United States, essentially. That person and department has been directed to create a report of that's essentially the complete history of the American intelligence community's dealings with UAP and to start from January 1947. That was in the NDAA, but in the IAA, they expanded it to very specifically say efforts to recover or translate related technologies to United States-based industry or national laboratories. So what we're seeing is the senators, as we're going forward and they're getting a little bit more bits of information, we're seeing them add these terms to the language to kind of block out these loopholes. And almost, I think, to kind of say, hey, anyone that's worked at a national laboratory, we've got eyes on you. So if this is you, you better come forward now before we have to have the next conversation, which, you know, like I say, no one's having yet. This is all carrot and no stick. So I'm I'm hoping that by pointing these people out and these places out that that the UFO community has been speaking about for decades and decades now, that those people start coming forward and start speaking. Hopefully, folk like Eric Davis will use the new reporting mechanisms because he still has clearance, so he can't speak about it openly, even though he gets real close to that line. And that must be a really interesting conversation with yeah. his bosses at EarthTech. Uh, but folk like him, um, people like Lazar, I don't think will testify just because you know I no, can't see that. No, no political aid is going to go to their boss and be like, "Hey, you know Marco Rubio, we should we should get Bob Lazar," and he's going to say, "Who's Bob Lazar?" and then look at his rap sheet and kind of go, "Yeah, we shouldn't put that guy in front of uh, television and stuff like that." There, there are some dodgy things in the past, right? 
and also the, the whole character and story and circus that can surround a Bob Lazar and others like that with those types of stories. Even, for example, someone I get asked regularly to bring on is Gary McKinnon, who famously, I'll use allegedly, even though we know what happened, um, just for you know, law reasons, legal reasons, um, hacked the NASA systems hacked. and yeah, yeah, hacked like in Jurassic Sweet Park, <laughs> like in Jurassic Park when a girl hacks it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just hitting the keyboard without really yeah, looking. That's old hacking. But <laughs> Gary apparently saw lots of different things, including you know, proof that there were alien civilizations and, and whatnot. And there's been all kinds of things over the years. But is it the time to bring those types of people to a stand? No. And I think in a way, it's like when I talk about experiencers feeling left out. It's still not the time to bring up, you know. So what about abductions? What what's happening with those? That's that's the that's down the line in the conversation. We have and, to get... and no one should be offended by that. I don't think it, no, it's kind of like no. introducing, you know, if someone said to me, "What's Marvel about? What's the what are those films about?" I'm not going to start talking about the particular mix of elements in Iron Man suits, right? I'm I'm going to keep the conversation light and kind of go baby steps and maybe let them kind of immerse themselves in it before we have those heavier conversations. So that's all this is: is we're kind of laying the groundwork to have those deeper conversations down the line. Yeah, you don't tell someone you love them on the first date because likely that's you not going to go well. <laughs> Dan, Dan has, uh, but yeah, you, you build that up, don't you? And that that's for down the line when things get more serious. That you've got to lay the groundwork and you know tread lightly in the early days. And I think that's really what's got to happen here. So overall, Dan, just before we finish off with some listener thoughts, a positive step for you? Yeah, I would I would say eight eight arrows out of ten on that news. I, I was very happy to read it and to have that you know beautiful new acronym that actually forms a word that people can say. I can't go as high as 8 out of 10, but I will go 4 out of 5. Um, <laughs> I think that's more than fair. Um, You're going to have listeners yelling at you again. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, uh, you know, I've got the A, I've got the A, I've got the R, the O, j- just missing off the W at the end. And I still know that spells it wrongly, folks, just before anyone kicks off. Um, listener thoughts, Graham Rendell at Borders750. You'll know Graham well, folks. Yeah, well, except Dan. Yeah, you should follow Graham, of course. Um, he's got numerous new books out and yeah i'm behind on interviewing graham about his books but go check those out um uh, he said if only the mod in the uk would make a similar announcement about the creation of a british equivalent oh look a pig has just flown past my window and he said i'm hopeful for more progress but equally realistic in thinking will probably be the last to know if anything is discovered um davy said as i said to dan earlier this is on twitter folks he's happy with the new name I am super pleased by Dr. K being part of it, but I'm still wary of the overarching department that oversees the office. Stephen uh, asked the question, Dan, do you think the immunity language in the amendment is sufficient or has real teeth to enable those with NDAs to speak if they choose? We, we mentioned Eric Davis and others before. Is there some subtle wordplay that has escaped this layman that will give the powers that be an avenue to scupper and strangle such attempts? So I'm going to have to ask you to repeat that just because my my cable died halfway between. That's fine, folks. And this is a short episode, so we can leave it in. So if you want to skip 10 seconds, I'll repeat the question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole new version of I was on mute. Yeah, I'll, I'll read it in a, my posh voice. Okay. Dan, Stephen asks, do you think the immunity language in the amendment is sufficient or and or has real teeth to enable those with NDAs to speak if they choose? So you mentioned like Eric Davis and such before as the language in the bill going to allow these people to come forward which is something that people have been clamoring for now i think the key thing to remember is that it will allow people who were already willing to come forward there's obviously been conversations in back rooms you know in skiffs uh, secure facilities where they can talk about these things and and i think this is designed to let some people that officials are already aware of come forward and be able to speak can i ask a, a really I think basic question i'm going to ask it really badly but this is for an idiot like myself who i think there'll be other idiots like me out there who, who want this basically as a yes or a no and that's all you can give is yes or no can lou okay. elizondo and in a hypothetical scenario he knows that there are for a fact alien civilizations visiting and or on this planet because of a reason can he if he is given or granted immunity from his nda can he literally stand in public, in Congress, and tell us everything he knows? No. Okay. So this would not let Lou do that, but it would let him do that 
to officials in a skiff. So the when they said, "Oh, we're going to close the door hearing now," yeah. you know that that little bit of the hearing that we didn't get to see, yeah. Lou could now go into there and say everything he knows without fear of prosecution, but not publicly. Okay, sure. Um, Chuck says, and this one's a little bit of a somber one from Chuck. Um, as the US crumbles quickly and exponentially before our very eyes, I think the cat might have to be let out of the bag once they get desperate enough, because all they have left is a crumbling, divided middle class, rich people and a massive military budget to keep the rich rich. Chuck, to be fair, I think there are many of us throughout the world who would say our countries are crumbling before our very eyes, but chin up. It could be it could be worse, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuel prices in the UK just dropped a couple of pence, so you know, woohoo. And our ground is literally melting and cracking. I think it was yeah. Luton where planes couldn't take off because the tarmac was all goopy. The so, good yeah. news is, uh, because of the crash in fuel prices, Dan, I fed my kids today. So fantastic news. Ooh, uh, I bet they were stoked. <laughs> first time in a week. Um, <laughs> Alex says, I was reading about the director, Sean Kirkpatrick. I really surprised they announced who he was. His background is pretty crazy. And yeah, as we said, Alex went into that in a little bit of detail. He seems extremely well qualified and similar to a Travis Taylor. While Dr. Kirkpatrick hasn't appeared on numerous TV shows as part of the History Channel Network, his CV and resume, and even on there, some of his recommendations from colleagues, speak for themselves. Um, some free plugs and advertising here for Demon House Design. Dan, I know you know them well. They said, looking forward to hearing it. Do you think that access to files pre-1947 will be used as an excuse to buy further time stalling? Or is this where disclosure will come from? I don't think the stuff from way back, just for my own view, Dan, is, is going to be the things that, you know, we're, put it this way, folks, we're not bringing up Roswell here and getting confirmation. No one's dragging out the flying saucers. I don't think that's what, what's going to happen here. It's possible that Roswell gets included in the Comptroller's report, though, since that starts in January 47. But the focus isn't going to be on things like Roswell. The focus is going to be on sightings that, or events that have multiple sensor systems. So not just a pilot with their eyes, it's going to be their WSO, there's another pilot and their WISO, plus you know the, the high-tech fancy radars that they have, plus the Hawkeye radar that they have, plus the other ship that was there. You know, These, these anomalous events with multiple vantage points are going to take precedence. And that's pretty much the whole reason that we see such a focus on 2004 and the Tic Tac, because that's kind of the first one where we yeah. have all that. And not to bang on, and I've said this before, Dan, myself, but Roswell's a very romantic story and it's 75 years plus now since Roswell. It's a little bit to me because so much has happened. Almost everyone involved has passed on. We've mentioned before many of the grandchildren of those involved have, have passed on or are very elderly. Um, would it not be similar to saying to you, Dan, I've baked a cake. Here's a list of 20 ingredients. I've put them together in a bowl. It's been baked. It's been presented. There it is can you go and get me the sugar back out the cake? And that's a little bit like sending people back to find as if Roswell, oh, there's the Roswell file, there it is there. And here's the hangar with all the stuff. It's probably long removed from that with, say there even was a recovered vehicle or technology. It could be all over the place in various different places. It could almost be unrecognisable, you know, to what it was then or where it was and been passed hands so many times in private industry as well that, it would be really hard to go and find that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You, you'd end up with, you know, say you had a big sheet of material and you started giving chunks of it out to people to kind of study and they all had NDAs, they were all secure, but, you know, I was giving this material out. At some point, one of them's probably going to go walkies or it's going to get cut into two to pass out to someone else. So the longer since the event happened, the more kind of stovepiped all of that information is going to be and sure, we can connect these stovepipes going forward with something like Arrow, but going back and connecting things with stovepipes, that's really, really difficult. So there might be some stories in UFO law that we kind of almost have to let go of because they're just not good enough to have that part of the conversation, you know? Yeah. Where do you think Bob Lazar had his element 115? Um, Buried in the garden. I'm going to say it's outside its garden or something. Not I just have a little Jack Vallejo on my shoulder saying, that's aerogel. Okay. okay. 
I thought you would. Um, Trent says, a new name and clear objectives is a start. Unless there are consequences for not giving up info to Arrow, then it's a pretty picture that doesn't have a frame to hang on the wall. Arrow should be a well-funded, diverse think tank. Hopefully, you know, that's the proof is in the pudding with that one. Gaz says, in a nutshell, what will be different than it is now in five years' time? Then what do you guys hope will be in five years? Five years is that time scale I think some people have latched on to now because of Lou's comment. But it's also a nice time scale of, you know, in five years, what will change? Um, we're almost five years on this December from the New York Times article. And that's a hell of a timeline to go back and cover, which no doubt we'll do in, in four or five months time, Dan, um, because that's a big, big piece of work. But what what do you hope from five years from now? Where, where are we going to be? I would hope that in five years, and I'll even take bets on this for someone who wants to put some money down because it would be kind of be fun, but not too much, just like 10, 10 fine English pounds. I will bet someone that in five years, we won't call them UAP. We'll have an actual name for them and know their origin. That's what I would say. Okay. At the very least, by 2026, the now there are illusions in the new legislation language that the programs are going to carry on past that. But the programs we're looking at, like Arrow, like UAPTF, like AIMSOG, they are funded until 2026. So in five years, we'll be past the end of that. And we'll have a kind of summary of, you know, four, four or five years of study of the UAP phenomena. Um, and we'll also have the results of what NASA are doing and what they're diving into. Also, we'll have a lot of what Project Galileo finds. So in five years, we're going to be looking at results. And like I say, we're probably going to have to look at a whole bunch of events that we hold on really tightly to at the moment and go, you know what? They did look into that in a robust manner and it, there was nothing there, you know? Do you know what I've been thinking? To give my answer, and hopefully it doesn't frustrate many people, but something that I'm thinking is realistic, especially given the last few weeks, is I wondered in five years' time, have we got a combination of the James Webb Telescope has seen something at quite a distance that we can confirm and scientists come out and confirm we think we have found something somewhere that has intelligent life be it a you know a dyson sphere or a planet that's inhabited or something like that or a, a huge craft somewhere but it's been so long ago that we don't even know if it's still there and they they basically say but it's been so far away so long ago but we think we've found something out there in the universe but to go hand in hand with that, the conversation here a bit closer to home is that we think there may be a chance that some of these things may or may not already have visited, you know, or, or be visiting us. And we're looking into that and almost again, keeping that drip going, but saying, oh, actually, we've found something really far away. And that gets the general public more ready for a conversation of, well, are they coming here? Well, we don't know. This thing's actually 13 billion light years away. So, you know, the, the actual distance is it's not there anymore. However, it just opens up people's minds a little bit to, oh, well, if something was there, why couldn't something now be here? And then that allows the conversation to change. So I wonder, and do you know what? I would take that in five years if we were at that point. I'm, I'm going to dub your five-year point the, the three-body point, because they, there's a lot in what you just said that, is very, very similar to, to the three-body problem and that series in general. What worries me about a scenario like that is that if we start talking about, you know, not being alone, but not knowing how close they are, that affects people in, in a really fundamental kind of way psychologically. Some people are going to be okay having them so close. Um, and Tom alluded it, to it uh, in his interview with Sivo, where if we can see them 13, you know, million light years away, then that's far away. We don't need to worry about it. But if there's evidence that they're visiting here and we don't know what they're doing, that's a really scary conversation for some people. So I would hope that in five years, we would have a bit more of an answer in terms of intent as well. Okay. Interesting. But good question, Gaz. One for a, one for a longer show, I think, as well. Um, Ricky says, do you guys feel like the formation of Arrow will be more effective than its predecessor? I think you can have answered that, but Dan, just to sum up, you, we do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, not perfect, but a good step forward, and next year we'll go through the same thing again with not perfect, but a good step forward. So, yeah, <laughs> onwards. 
Adam uh, Adam Goldsack, as we know, UAP Media UK colleague, optimistically cautious. This is a positive move, although how apt is OUSDI over another branch? And I've seen some people commenting saying it should have been housed somewhere else, but this is always going to be the thing that, that where is the perfect place to put something like this? There's always going to be some kind of issue with how a department is run or what they may be doing behind the scenes or like imagine it was like the department of energy aha there you go it's, it was them and it's like so it's got to be somewhere and this they, is there is there is language as well in the legislation that proposes making a joint program office which alludes to them maybe either this year or next year kind of pulling control of this office away from the dod so i think it's something that officials are aware of but they're kind of letting them do their thing and kind of saying, okay, you know, Dr. John Kirkpatrick, he, you want him in, you say that he's the best that you've got, cool, let's see what he does for a year. And then if by next year, we're still in the same situation again, we'll probably see, you know, it being pulled further and further away from the DOD control. And Dan, you know, I like to finish on a fair or cynical or, you know, point. I know you saw this one as well on Twitter, you, you interacted with Lynn. Uh, Lynn said, it's another word for the same organization doing the same thing but maybe I'm just being cynical. Um, and it reminded me of the, you know, the Scooby-Doo meme where they pull off the mask and it's, it was that guy all along or the old Vince McMahon to use a wrestling one again. It was me, Austin. <laughs> and is it going to be that meme where the, the arrowhood gets pulled off and it's the AOI MSG in a year's time going, ha ha, it was me all along. Possibly. But then we can, we can keep going back, right? If we pull Aimsog's face off then we get the uaptf if we pull that mask off we get a tip we pull that mask off we get orsap and then there are areas that people are a lot more comfortable with right we, we think lou yeah. did a good job we think they did a good job investigating skinwalker ranch and the high strangeness so this stuff all kind of trickles down out of those things but yeah just more robust conversation now awesome cool well dan thank you very much for joining us for this one uh, especially ahead of your big move uh, i'm away this weekend in glasgow for a day with my little boy looking forward to that Coming up on Monday, Dan, is the Robin Hansen interview, which is out now on early access and ad-free. According to Dan, Dave Smethurst and a few others, I didn't make an idea of myself with Robin. Um, thank him very much for that conversation. <laughs> you, you did uh, great. People are going to really enjoy it. It's, it's a thoroughly entertaining and, and a bit of a different interview as well. It was the most awkward, I think, I said to you, Dan, I felt since the Kurt Jai Mungle interview I'd done with. And that was nothing against Kurt. That was just having someone who's far more intellectual than myself on but trying to kind of break it down to, to terms i understood but yeah robin was great he said he'd be really happy to come back on in the future he's got a book coming out down the line which is quite some time away still uh, but you'll be speaking to him for, for coloring outside the lines uh, well before then anyway um but if folks want to listen to that early you can check out any of the linktree.ee forward slash ufo uap am or any of the kind of premium services to listen to it early if not, you can check it out from Monday on all the audio feeds and from next Friday on the, the YouTube premium feeds as well. And don't forget, if you like watching the videos early, you can sign up to YouTube for a couple of bucks, couple of pounds, couple of euros, couple of pesos. I don't know if they even use those anymore. Pesetas. A couple of thousand yen. Yeah, any, any of your local currency, like the price of a coffee, and it helps support the channel, all that kind of crap that creators like ourselves like to tell you but you know if not listen to it free share it like it leave reviews all of that kind of stuff is greatly greatly appreciated especially in the kind of cost of living crisis and all that jazz but here we are talking about ufos hopefully you've been informed entertained you've hated us both but you've listened all the way through so thank you very much um and dan speak to you again soon yeah absolutely thank you for for listening and thank you for having me that's my line that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO UAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see.
It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Consider your lies, consider your life, consider your eyes. Listen. 